So the topic at hand, uh, building automation systems, that's that's the BAS part, BAS and Wi-Fi, a perfect match. And I won't read you every bullet, but I will, uh, while you're digesting them, I will say, uh, boy, wouldn't it be nice if all client devices were a good match for any network? Um, and that's just not the case. We know that's not the case, especially in wireless. Unfortunately, um, it's often an assumption made out of uh, uh, ignorance by um, people that plan out these systems. And it's not to say, you know, it's not to throw dirt when I say it's made out of ignorance, but, you know, ignorance is lack of knowledge, not, you know, maliciousness or stupidity. Sometimes people just don't know. And Wi-Fi is so out there, it's just seen as the natural fit for almost everything. Um, but, you know, those of you who are listening, um, who do wireless, you know that, you know, that's just not the case, at least not, it's not easily the case in all cases. So, and it's our job as professionals to push back when appropriate. That's a little bit about what we're gonna get into today. You know, like I said, you know, Wi-Fi is a great target. Um, you know, we should use it for everything. It's ubiquitous, it's bought and paid for. You know, we've got Wi-Fi and the vendor says that Wi-Fi is the right fit. Well, it's common common knowledge that Wi-Fi is, you know, wildly popular. But over time, um, I'm of the opinion that a lot of aspects of the overall paradigm have just been bungled. Um, depending on what you're trying to do beyond basic client access, you know, it's kind of a bit of a fragmented mess, and a lot of the parties that should be working together for interoperability and you know to make it so that you can use Wi-Fi for everything just aren't talking uh, to each other. So the whole notion of interoperability and, you know, we've got standards, mm, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if, you know, the the promise was uh, actually realize, realizable, if that's even a word, um, but it's, it's just not the case. And again, um, just opinion, you know, the one agency that should be making all of this stuff a lot more uh, tight when it comes to interoperability. I, I think they've kind of lost sight of what that even means and we won't name them and I'll get off my soapbox. So let's treat ourselves to a definition. You know, when we talk about um, building automation systems, what are we talking about? Um, hopefully my dogs aren't too loud there on the other floor of the house here, so I apologize for them. Um, building automation system, uh, by definition from facilitiesmanagement.com, and there are slightly varying definitions, we're using interlink interlinked networks of software and hardware to monitor and control a building's mechanical and electrical systems, including HVAC, lighting, security, and fire systems. So. That's the uh, that's the focus that we're talking about today when we when we talk about uh, building automation systems. That's our our definition. So we'll get into this with a couple of examples, you know. Um, but let's let's lead up to that with some introduction here. Why not Wi-Fi for building automation systems? Um, well. Building automation system vendors, those creating the systems, 
not only do they often not get enterprise wireless, they often don't get ethernet, um, unfortunately. Wi-Fi is its own technology. And again, here we're talking enterprise. Let's not lose sight of that. At home, everything is different. Smart home is not so much building automation for this discussion. So um, please, please keep in mind that that word enterprise needs to kind of pop to the forefront of your mind. And we're talking big um, environments, business environments, uh, multi-site stuff controlled from one um, home, you know, whatever, uh, data center, um, IT team, whatever. Um, but enterprise is what we're talking about here. Um, you know, and, and we're finding that in the enterprise, we're outgrowing Wi-Fi. We're finding that Wi-Fi, although it's convenient, again, for client access, it just doesn't scale. It doesn't fit. The control mechanisms might not be right. Even at its best performance, you know, latency might be, um, you know, something that we can't control uh, for, you know, whatever the system is that we need to work to, to really work in that environment. So, you know, again, I, I won't read you every um, bullet here, but I do want to take you down to the bottom um, when we talk about interference. Anybody who's gone through CWNA, anybody who's gone through um, wireless security, one thing that we can't defend against on a wireless network is interference. The only thing that we can do is is move our devices. Um, that's one thing that we're you know beyond the interference source. And how practical is that? If somebody pops up something that's laying waste to the RF, um, you know we don't have any real defense against that other than to monitor and report on it and then go find it. And and that alone kind of brings up some major concern, major concerns for systems that are actually controlling what's going on in a building, especially when you get into, you know, security and fire uh, control and all of, or fire warning and all of that. So um, again, just priming the pump here with these bullets, and then we're gonna, you know, get into it a little bit more. So I'm making the case that uh, building automation systems are going to be better suited as IoT clients um, versus Wi-Fi clients. And talk a little bit more about IoT in a minute. But you know, a little bit of why I'm saying that is these devices. Again, you know, this is where you're going to find them. They're not your typical Wi-Fi clients looking for access, looking to use the network and be productive. Um, these are different. We tuck them away in oddball mechanical spaces. You know, in those spaces, we're not usually or frequently charged with, you know, putting Wi-Fi really wall-to-wall, edge-to-edge in a building. Um, so they're, you know, the dark corners where we don't do Wi-Fi are a lot of, you know, a lot of times where these devices end up. Um, ideally, um, a lot of them are battery powered because there is no AC available or they don't, shouldn't have to use AC because AC is very costly to run. Um, you know, a lot of times you have to pop these things in weird places. You know, a lot of times they're more asleep than they are awake. They're headless. Um, you know, I already talked about the protocols um, in particular 
uh, back net is one I'm familiar with. It, it can just be a headache for everybody, even people who are really good at doing it when you start to scale it up. And often, um, you know, when I talk about isolation from the rest of the network in that third bullet, a lot of times that's, you know, logical isolation, physical isolation. Um, they're fragile, they're ill thought out, they don't play well with friends, uh, whatever description you want to throw on it. Um, a lot of times they need to be kind of set aside in, in unique ways versus your typical uh, Wi-Fi client. So talk about alternatives, specific alternatives to Wi-Fi uh, for building automation connectivity. Again, if we're not using Wi-Fi and wired isn't practical, we get into the world of IoT and low power WAN. And um, you know, this is not a space that a lot of us, or at least a significant portion of those listening, I'm guessing, have had to dive into yet. I know for myself, I've gotten enough working knowledge to um, know that there are better alternatives to Wi-Fi and, you know, I've worked on some specific projects where absolutely going in this direction is a much better fit than Wi-Fi. And we'll see, you know, some of the reasons why that is the case as I proceed here. But, um, you know, the alternatives, even if these names don't mean anything to you, the examples here, uh, the specific IoT technologies, um, you know, we're going to have to learn more about them as Wi-Fi people, if only to know when to recommend them because you can see disaster coming if you try to funnel everything through Wi-Fi. And it might sound odd for Wi-Fi people to say, don't use Wi-Fi. It might sound, might sound odd for any professional to, you know, um give work away if you want to think of it that way but it just you know isn't always the right solution so more suitable radio technologies for the purpose and again i'm i'm leading up to a couple of examples of um you know better uh, options than wi-fi so we've only got you know less than an hour to talk about all of this stuff. And I will say to you that, um, you know, IoT as a concept is just huge. Thankfully, there's a lot of good free um, courses out there to get you started on just grasping what it means. I will say that there is a lot more to it um, from a scholarly and critical thought perspective and a, a you know greater understanding perspective. Uh, when it comes to IoT than just thinking they're not computers, they're not phones, they're other things that join the network. You know, that that's probably as much as many of us have thought, but when you start getting into it, there's usually a cloud component and there's usually some analytics and there's usually some if this, then that stuff going on. It's absolutely fascinating stuff to dip your toes into, even if you never really, um, embrace or have to put out any of these competing systems. The concepts are something that you really want to learn about. Um, even if just, you know, from a fundamental, uh, at a fundamental level, and we just can't get into it here. So we're going to leave IOT, um, you know, at a purposefully simple level when we talk about, when we talk about the rest of what we need to cover. So nothing makes the case better than an example. 
you know, let's dive into some uh, real world um, examples that I've seen here, or that I've seen on my end, things that I've been involved with. I'm gonna put up a diagram here in a minute and all of that, but in this scenario, um, the people that are doing this project, they had the goal of taking an eight clocks, a housing um, unit with eight, eight individual um, units to monitor air temperature, air quality, you know, before building improvements, then the building gets retrofitted and then they want to remeasure. And they also want to monitor power consumption before and after, and they want to do that to see, okay, what did we gain when we retrofitted this building? And it's a research project to begin with, but some of the, you know, with, that's the basic goal is spelled out, but they also want to take it out of a controlled environment out into public housing. And, you know, not only are they looking for energy savings, but know what technologies on the retrofits work and what don't, and know what monitoring systems um, for what they're doing work and what don't. So, you know, the project planners, when they kick this thing off, um, you know, Wi-Fi is the, the easy example. Yep, we got wireless and, you know, vendors say that we can use Wi-Fi for what we're doing. Like, yeah, how's that gonna work? Well, you gotta take this one sensor and get it on the network and um, it needs an AC power cord and, okay, well, what network stuff does it support? Well, it just supports wireless. Okay, you're deploying it where we have an 802.1X network. Does it fit on that? I don't know what that means. It's like, and you can you, you can see the discussion. Like, well, you're assuming there's an AC power cord everywhere. You're going to stick one of these things. Well, we'll just have one put in. Okay, um, let's get a price on doing that in this fortress-like building where you want to be. And uh, the the reasons why, um, you know, even just the facilities reasons become pretty obvious why this isn't a good idea. But the other part is in these buildings, it's a residential building and, you know, we all have our own um, residences and we all have our own Wi-Fi. And those of you who are in multi-dwelling apartments know that that can be rough. And those of you who have ever tried to help a family member get past, you know, the what the neighbors are doing and all of that, or, you know, even what your own kids do sometimes, it, it can be terrible. So just not the right solution. So again, I promised you a floor plan. We'll see that in a minute, but just to um, lead up to that, we're gonna see a closet at one end of this building. It's approximately 200 feet long. It's all block walls, it's two stories. In this case, the Wi-Fi is managed, but where they're looking to take real world deployment of this system eventually the wireless won't be managed. So, you know, if you've got an eightplex, picture eight different people responsible for getting their own connectivity, eight different Wi-Fi networks walking on each other, unless neighbors team up or whatever. But, you know, a fairly clean and managed environment where you're gonna have good RF, you know, maybe that's got some appeal up front, but it's not where they're going in the real world, which, you know, alone is notable and, um, you want to prepare for the worst up front is my uh, my perspective. And um, where I live, where this is taking place, not only is um, cabling a nightmare, there's all kinds of 
low voltage permits needed if you're going to run cable. Um, there's asbestos remediation in these old buildings. Even if there's no asbestos, any place you're going to do a wall penetration has to be analyzed to see if there is. And, you know, it, there's a lot of, uh, you know, safety and um, environmental and, you know, um, red tape kind of stuff in a bunch of different directions. So. And like I said, you put the AC, if you can find an AC outlet, there's nothing to prevent a resident from unplugging it when they wanna put in something that they see of a higher priority in the thing. So, um, and oh, by the way, these sensors are very high importance. So, you know, all of this, all of this is like the um, background to where we're going and, and why Wi-Fi is just not the best fit. So here's, here's what the building looks like. Um, little visual is always helpful. And again, it is a two story. I can only show you one floor in this diagram. But you can get a sense of, okay, if I got eight different families or eight different individuals living in this apartment building, um, and I got to run cable from that closet all the way down to the end, that's a lot of walls to penetrate. Um, you know, you, you just get a, a, like I said, a visual for, um, where this is all happening. And those are very, very thick block walls. This all was built in the 50s or 60s. For some reason, they had a lot of cinder blocks to use. Somebody did very well on the cinder block contract for these buildings. Um, so again, I'm saying Wi-Fi would be wrong. It would be the wrong infrastructure for this scenario. The Wi-Fi uh, sensors would be the wrong clients. The protocols that they want to use over Wi-Fi uh, potentially could absolutely be wrong. Um, and when, when I talk about wrong, as many of you know, um, sometimes that means you can make it work, but supporting it is gonna be an absolute nightmare over time. Doesn't mean it can't work, it just, um, it's just gonna be painful. By contrast, a better fit for this particular environment, and this is what they did end up going with, um, technology called LoRaWAN. It is one of the uh, leading uh, IoT technologies at, the, at this level um, for what it's trying to do. You know, again, think of it as, an alternative to Wi-Fi, if that's all you know about it. And unlike Wi-Fi's 2.4 and 5 gig use, um, we're into 800 meg. So if you were to go back to those block wall buildings in your mind and think about 5 gig trying to penetrate buildings and be, or penetrate walls and be reliable, 800 meg does a lot better. Um, you know, think about the, uh, any of the low frequency cordless phones you've ever had that just go, you know, sometimes far into your neighbor's houses where they can, you know, listen in on you because they were not built with encryption or whatever. And the lower frequency you get, the farther you go, the better the propagation, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, back to our RF fundamentals. So that alone makes this uh, a better technology in some ways. We can see that we can use our battery power versus wall power. They're gonna be low profile sensors. Um, chances are these are gonna be a lot less obtrusive than something that's Wi-Fi based that needs to be big enough for 
um, our radios and the antennas and all of that, and then you know actually have some performance. There's only so much trade-off you can do with a Wi-Fi device and shrinking it and making it you know effective. Um, but more importantly, again, back to what they're trying to do over the long run, these are going to work regardless of what the individual apartment uh, residents do. So if there's eight chaotic, crazy wireless environments all fighting each other, and oh, by the way, um, I'm sorry, up front on that thought, you know, if you've got eight different networks how do you get your sensors onboarded onto eight different networks uh, is another part this takes all of that confusion away regardless of what goes on in those apartments um, this technology will work regardless of the you know involving the users and saying hey i need to stick this on your uh, wi-fi network so in this case the sensors are in the apartment the batteries last years we put the gateway in the telecom closet and there's your simple diagram um, showing the way that this works uh, the gateway is the only thing that's actually on the internet the gateway can either be cellular it can be wi-fi if appropriate or it can be ethernet connected um, in this case we're going with ethernet connectivity and then it goes out to the cloud and you know all the data be all the data is being gathered out there in cloud land and all the analytics run and all of that. But um, so really the LoRa versus Wi-Fi, everything from the cloud to the left um, is where we're talking about the changes. You could do everything from the cloud over to the right, regardless of what you have going on in the apartments. Let's just be clear. I'm saying the stuff on the left, this is a better fit for the overall model than Wi-Fi, and hopefully the hopefully the case has been made. And the um, the benefits of what I'm talking about hopefully are uh, are obvious. Doing it one way versus the other. So that is one real-world example playing out right now on my end. Let's talk about another one. Um, again, if you go back to the uh, definition of building automation systems, right? So we're monitoring, um, we're controlling, it doesn't have to be both, it could be one or the other. Um, we're doing HVAC, and that's kind of what was shown in the eight plex example, or lighting, or any number of other um, systems. So in example number two, we're talking about lighting specifically. A company called Lutron is a, a pretty big commercial lighting provider. They've got some really uh, good stuff. And then they've got this product line, um, which in my opinion should just be retired and be done with it. And um, just take it off the table so people can't make mistakes. The what you're looking at is just a screenshot. I know it's probably not obvious with that weird bar across the middle, but this is a screenshot of their documentation right out of the uh, Vive or Vive, whatever the Vive, however you pronounce that, right out of their uh, support docs. <clears throat> well, gee, this is news. A corporate Wi-Fi network can interfere with a Wi-Fi on the Vive wireless hub. Where a corporate Wi-Fi network exists, it's recommended to do the following. Connect the wireless hub to the corporate network using the Ethernet connection on the hub and disable the hub's Wi-Fi. I can't think of very many 
corporate corporate environments that are not going to have Wi-Fi. Hence, this thing should not even be on the market, in my opinion. Um, too easy to spec it wrong. Um, nowhere in the nowhere is this information that you're looking at really called out uh, prominently. You got to kind of dig around to find out that you could be making a poor choice if you get into this. Um, I know for a fact that some people are going to buy it and then find out and then the remorse starts. Um, it's like what I planned on using it the way they built it. Now Lutron, well, I'll, I'll save that for a minute. I'll save my next thought about Lutron. Again, not throwing dirt on them. They've got some really good stuff and they do have viable alternatives to Vive. It's just Vive or Vive. Um, is is the specific offender here so what happens if you buy into the wrong system what happens if you buy into lutron's vive well you're looking at um real world scan uh, taken off a cisco controller of one of these lighting controller hubs the whole paradigm is the hub has wiring non-wi-fi um, you know proprietary wiring off of the hub off to a bunch of different lighting controls you connect to its ap functionality with a smartphone or whatever and manipulate the system and then like they say in their manual and their documentation um well if you got wi-fi nearby or if you've got a wife if you've got wi-fi in your environment you really should connect it up to ethernet but you don't have to, <laughs> nobody's making you. And this thing will sit there and blast away uh, as long as you do not connect to ethernet. And unfortunately, um, this is just one of a few that basically went in wrong. They have no ethernet connectivity. And for years they've been blasting away on uh, a poor channel selection. So we know that if we're on channel 10, not only are we interfering with channel 11, but also channel six. And if you jump over to the right, you can see um, the signal strengths with which the other APs that are, our, the, the corporate APs um, are seeing this. This thing is a flamethrower. Um, give you a little bit of uh, decoding of the AP name, the second column. If you look at the middle value, the 500, 600, 130, um, the leading number is the floor. So uh, 500 is the fifth floor, 600 is the sixth floor, 130 is the first floor. This is a single hub that's throwing signal on channel 10 pretty much on every single floor of this six-story building. I, I don't even remember where it is. If I had to look at the signal strengths in the right-hand column and guess, I'm guessing that this is probably on the fourth floor, but it's making its presence known with enough signal to offend on floors one through six. Um, so again, you know, the point here being, this is a building control system um, using Wi-Fi that's just going to wreak havoc. And, and it is wreaking havoc. There's places where, um, you know, 2.4 is probably useless in this building. You could say, well, most clients do five gig anymore. So what does it matter? Well, 
if you look if you go forward with Wi-Fi 6 and, and such, um, 2.4 is very much with us for quite a while. So building in yet another problem is not really a good a good choice. So, uh, you know, this is kind of Lutron shame. Um, and it goes kind of goes back to that dysfunction and people aren't talking to other people about, you know, how do we make this fit in in the real world? Lutron does have another system, clear sight, clear something. Um, it works in 400 meg and it's beautiful. It interferes with nothing. And um, a lot of times where you see the fancy lighting on big skyscrapers that changes colors and, you know, it can basically be programmed to um, symbolize different things, you know, uh, red, white, and blue on the, um, Memorial Day or whatever, or, uh, you know, something great happens with a sports team and you can light up a building in their colors. That tends to be controlled by Lutron's other system or um, one of the few competitors that does that stuff. Fascinating technology, wonderful stuff. Um, if you make the right choice, and again, you can see here that, uh, that this was not the right choice. So get to the end of it. Hopefully I didn't rush too too much. No, I think we're gonna time out fairly good here. Um, again, as a Wi-Fi professional, sometimes it feels odd to sit in a meeting and talk people out of using Wi-Fi. And depending on where you are in the Wi-Fi space and what your job, um, you know, job duties are and job description is, uh, it can be really uncomfortable to steer people away from Wi-Fi because um, for a lot of us, you know, that's how we make our, our living. Um, but, but again, I am here to tell you that it, it's time to start mastering some of the other stuff. You know, CBRS is out there, uh, IoT, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, it's its own thing. It, we have to be able to look beyond Wi-Fi, even though, you know, for us, it is the thing that we love and it's the thing that puts food on our table and all of that. It is absolutely not the end all. Every standard comes out, promises more and more. And arguably, I won't say it delivers less, but the promises are getting more grandiose for what we're supposed to be able to get out of each standard. And then we all find out a year or two later that we have to turn off three quarters of the promise features or the clients that are going to use the network don't work. It's just a mess. A lot of the people that do use Wi-Fi in these systems are still putting out 802.11b, 802.11g. And you can make the case that 2.4 gig has better range, but at the same time, you can't expect network administrators and network designers to embrace clients that are going to slow the network down and that are, that are just built crappy and that you have to adjust the network in very unpleasant ways to penalize the majority to fit these oddball devices in and again it's just it's just not the end all when we talk about 802.11 anymore um, not all deployment cases are the same as i mentioned there um, sometimes you can do stuff with Wi-Fi and it's going to work under the heading of, you know, 
BAS, but you have to know what other tools are available. Um, you know, it's up to us to read a situation and potential problems and not get bullied into making bad choices. I've kind of preached a little bit, um, so I won't go on about, you know, why we need to familiarize with alternatives. But there are times where, you know, Wi-Fi is just flat out wrong, absolutely flat out the wrong fit. And you need to present a good case and stand your ground for everybody's benefit, even if it costs more to add another system beyond the existing Wi-Fi. Those costs, you know, if you go with Wi-Fi, you're going to end up with a whole other, a whole bag of other costs over time for support and rework and user frustration and all of that. So, you know, saving a little money up front, the, the old expression about, you know, is it stepping over dollars to pick up pennies or whatever? Um, somehow that fits, at least in my mind, but, um, you know, apply that in some way that makes sense to you, even, even though I'm bungling it. But basically when it's wrong, damn it, it's wrong. And it's up to us to, uh, to point out why. And, you know, if we can help arrive at the right solution, everybody wins. And with that, when I look at my clock, hopefully there's time for questions. Yeah. Discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. I think we do have uh, time for a couple uh, questions. Uh, one one comment before we jump in. You know, when I've looked at the specs of some of those systems, it really would be better suited with a you know wireless IoT protocol than than Wi-Fi. You know, the specs almost prove that because they're using 802.11b or 802.11g and it's 2.4 gigahertz only of course so they're telling you they don't need good performance because they're using radios that don't support higher data rates and a lower performance band um, probably because they want it to be low cost as well so all of those things are you know better addressed with iot you know the iot protocols that that you showed us today. Yeah, and to that point too, um, I didn't even really touch on security. I've seen, I've seen um, some of these that need TKIP, you know, hmm. or WEP, or or even WEP. I mean, that's outdated they are, and it's like you know, back to the uh, you know bending of the network policy and rules and doing things you don't want to do to make it fit. Or there's a a wired component to that system and a Wi-Fi component, and they have to be on the same subnet, and that subnet can't be bigger than a class C, you know, or or whatever the, you know, the datedness of it all, and the, you know, the, um, you know, non-big view of networking that these things are are often built with. Um, is, is really surprising sometimes just how bad they can be. Yes. So a couple questions here. Um, Mike asks, uh, how how cost effective effective is implementing something like CBRS for a BAS system? Uh, well, it's a it's a great question. Um, I have yet to see BAS client devices. I know that there are bridges um, that'll give you, you know, CBRS on one side and then do what you want on the other side. Um, 
I'm not so familiar with um, specific clients that directly can use CBRS yet. At the same time, you know, CBRS, you're going to need less APs for people who don't know what CBRS is. It's the um, the 3.5 gig private LTE, private 5G, blah, 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 on go, um, all of this stuff that's um, becoming more popular on uh, companies like Solona. And I believe, um, so I'm trying to think of somebody else. I'm not playing favorites, but I'm also trying to move the conversation. So I don't want to twiddle my thumbs while I think of other vendors, but, but that's where we're at when we talk about CBRS. Um, you know, you, you need less hardware, you need less infrastructure to cover the same amount of area. Um, you'll be able to cover a lot more uh, low bandwidth clients um, with the cellular approach to things. So architecturally speaking, if you have clients that support it, it could be very cost effective. Uh, maybe one last question here, Kelsey. Uh, Lee, this is from Nick and he says, uh, can any of the non-Wi-Fi wireless protocols utilize um, enterprise authentication systems, RADIUS, Active Directory, et cetera? I'm trying to understand how to begin to integrate such protocols in an enterprise environment. That wow. could probably be a webinar all on its own. Yeah, wow, great question. I can't even fake that I have a responsible answer, <laughs> but I do know... I do know if you go back to, well, well, let me take that back. I do know that if you go back to um, like the LoRa WAN and the parts that are going to connect to either your LAN or your Wi-Fi network. So, you know, LoRa WAN sensors are talking to the gateway on 800 uh, megahertz. So that connectivity, um, is going to be very proprietary. It's got its own security stuff uh, built in. So you're not going to want to do anything, you know, 802.1X or enterprise security between the sensors and the gateway, I don't think is um, even appropriate to, to contemplate. But now the gateway needs to talk to the network and you can certainly do 802.1X port-based authentication on network switches. So there's a case where you can say, okay, our security is how the gateway interfaces with the network and our policy is um, you know it's got to be 802.1x to go on wi-fi and if the gateway doesn't support it it can't connect via wi-fi it can only connect via a switch and on our switches we can do 802.1x um, security you know in that regard so so maybe that kind of gets near what nick is asking yeah i think so uh, I would just add, um, CWNP has this new CWICP um, uh, exam and material that really gets into the weeds of some of these protocols. They because they do each have their own um, authentication schemes, most of which really aren't like um, EAP-based auth that we do with 802.11. Um, and you know have their own quirks but one one thing i found you know working with iot stuff on the security side is the traffic it generates is pretty predictable so 
like you can actually go back to the old like 1990s methods of writing ACLs about what IP addresses can connect to other IPs and that can be a way to help build some security into your IoT deployments as well. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Jim. Lee, sorry to have another comment. Uh, I was going to say, I do know that um, as you evolve your thinking into uh, IoT alternatives to Wi-Fi, I know it can be hard to uh, let go a lot of what your brain is trained to do, but even the security paradigms are going to be different. You know, everything about it is like, you know, go into it with an open mind and um, don't try to funnel you know, even your security approach, you may end up coming back and find that, you know, okay, what we did over here does work over here as well. But, you know, you really do also have to just kind of free your mind and, and figure out how do we use this new beast? Um, and, and it may not fit into the security mold that you're used to. Um, I'm seeing that in some, some ways already. And like I say, just uh, know that it's a new a new day. <laughs> And, and be open to, you know, um, whatever you got to do to make these things work. And I don't think that the the overall overarching methodologies have even completely evolved. And a lot of good use cases will come out and, you know, somebody will hit on, okay, this is the silver bullet for 80% of this type of deployment, blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't think we're there yet. And a lot of this um, is particularly for, for BAS systems.